Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage program will explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And this morning, we want to welcome back one of our special all-time favorite people, Lydia. <laughs> Thank you for coming back and sharing with us. You are so welcome. I just love that introduction. Can you say it again? <laughs> uh, you can't pay me enough money to continue down that road. Um, uh, listeners, Lydia is an author of Forgotten American Stories, which you can purchase to go through with your kids or yourselves to learn a tremendous amount about so much of early American history that has been overlooked or put aside. All of our research is done through primary documents. It Beautiful pictures, lesson plans in there, activities you can do with either other adults or your kids if you'd like to go through them. Lydia and I co-host a show called We the Kids, and Lydia is an award-winning broadcaster from the Pennsylvania Broadcaster Association for the past two years. So, Lydia, again, thank you for coming back and sharing with us and putting up with my bizarre humor. Oh, you are so welcome. And just so you know, listening audience, Arch is part of that two-year-in-a-row award from the Pennsylvania Association of Broadcasters also because we co-host the We the Kids radio show together. I'm not supposed to tell people that because I'm in the Witness Protection Program and <laughs> I might have to be moved. Um, so, uh, I would, I, so well, Lydia, we were talking in our last show about Lexington and Concord building up to how this took place. And we were chatting about the commanding general in America is Thomas Gage and how he understood the communist viewpoint and thinking because he had now lived here for so long and how he helped the British military turn around the French and Indian War and eventually win the French and Indian War. And uh, his thinking about a colonist and understanding the area of which he lived, because the other reason is Parliament and King George made him the military governor of Massachusetts when things began to be heated at that point. So, Lenny, can you think of, of any other way that Thomas Gage could understand colonist viewpoint? Well, the people that you serve, you usually get to know pretty well. Yes. Um, yeah. for, for one thing. So I, I do think I, I find it intriguing that we as British Americans at that time, the British were our friends. George Washington served as a what British commander of one of the military troops that went against the French in the French-Indian War. And, and I, I just find it so fascinating that through all these circumstances that we talked about in the previous show, then it switched. And now the British become the enemies of the colonists. And unfortunately, General Gage was caught in that shift, right? I mean, he was a British commander and we were British Americans serving with him against the French and the Indians. And then now he's still a commander and he's the governor of Massachusetts who's, I don't want to say, well, he's governing over the people of Massachusetts, yes, the state of Massachusetts. Governor. Yeah, military governor. And, and and now he's got to, because we're still British colonists, he's taking his orders from his higher up, the king in parliament, way across the Atlantic Ocean in England, and discovering that maybe what I am assuming if he knows the British American people and then he knows his king and his the parliament and parliament don't know the British American people. So if order or rule or law comes from the top, the king and parliament, down to General Gage to enforce 
he's now caught in the crosshairs between both worlds, British Americans and the leaders above him, whom he takes his orders from. I don't know if that all makes sense, but I would not want to be in his shoes. It does. <laughs> That's and, awkward. And, and I would like to make that crosshair a little thicker for you, for all of us. Okay. How General Gage. <laughs> General Gage married a colonist. Oh my goodness. And her name Add is. Add love uh, to that, and oh my God. Well, it's it, well, it, it, Margaret Kimball, and she was from New Jersey. So Thomas Gage marries the colonist. Their children were born in Massachusetts. So now we have a commanding general who is caught in the crosshairs of having a colonist who is his wife, having children, technically British citizens, but they were colonists at the time. And he's a British commanding general. And so what he sees, Lydia, is colonists now are beginning to rebel against the government at this point. So his sense of duty and his sense of honor is obviously to the British government because that is the government whom he is serving. That's what we had. We didn't have any other government. Yeah. At at the point. So, and I'll go back a little bit. And what Thomas Gage saw is what a lot of Americans today don't realize that the large majority of colonists were not in rebellion against the government. It was a small percentage of colonists who were rebelling against the British government. You know, the people in New York, the people in Pennsylvania, anybody outside of the the colony of Massachusetts were not in rebellion. It was the Massachusetts colony that was beginning to rebel against the government. So, you know, so this is not something that's seeping out all over the colonies at first, but it's isolated inside the Massachusetts colony. And Thomas Gage is ordered by parliament to stop it. So if I can interject here, what I'm envisioning is the colonists as a whole, everything was peaceful, everything was fine, but there was a little spark that ignited in Massachusetts, in the Boston, in Boston, sounds like, and that spark started slowly igniting other towns that were close to Boston, and then those towns started getting more fiery and igniting sparks in more towns next to them, and pretty soon you have the colonists all up in flames. Does that sound like a nice, accurate visualization? So then... This what is a bright, started this is, the sparks? Well, this what was is the a, initial spark? I know we kind of alluded to something last show. Sorry. This is a brush fire that ends <laughs> okay. up. And then actually, this is a brush fire that ends up being a world fire, ultimately. Ow. And, and Gage understands that he better put this brush fire out before it spreads, so to speak. And so he's doing things to try to stop this from he's he's trying to keep this an isolated situation in Massachusetts and not let it spread throughout the rest of the colonies. Again, so he is in between a rock and a hard place as he's trying to figure all these things out at the same time getting orders from the parliament that's six weeks away in communication at this point. So one of the things that I learned that was brand new to me when I was doing some preparation for this show is I learned something called the powder alarm. And it was somewhere, it took place somewhere in September of 1774, where General Gage learned that the powder, that there was most, a lot of the powder in this one place in Massachusetts was gone. Mm -hmm. And 
So they call it the powder alarm because number one, I'm sure he was alarmed <laughs> because he's the general. It's like, wait a minute, who's taking our powder, you know, my powder for my men. But then you, you start having the colonists, Alicia, right? Because we have no way to defend ourselves. So from what I, I read, it was required that boys and men starting at age, what was it, 15 years old, would have to train like four times a year to learn how to do defend their town, their village, etc. Right. from either, you know, Indians or uh, who knows what, back in the day, the French or anyone from overseas or whatever. And so it was interesting for me to learn then of the dynamics between it's kind of like, well, who took the cookies out of the cookie jar? Those were supposed to be our cookies mm-hmm. as someone took them. Well, and so that kind of sounded like it started something too. this, this thing where it's like, well, wait a minute, I general gauge need to make sure, you know, we're the rest of our powder areas and our mm-hmm. ammunition and everything. And so we need to secure that because we are British Americans and I need to secure that. That's my responsibility. And as a result of him sending out soldiers to secure these places of powder, it sounds like that then triggered, if I can use that word, yes. uh, the British yeah. Americans to go, oh, my gosh, they're taking away our powder that mm-hmm. we need to defend ourselves out here in the boonies, you know. So that didn't help. That kind of, to me, sounded like that was a side story that also I learned that I'm like, okay, I can see where this is going. Like, right. you know, wait a minute. He, Sally took the cookies. No, no, I didn't take right. them. Nope. Johnny did. No, I didn't take them. Well, then who did take them? All and right. then pretty soon, uh, Daddy has to go, okay, I am going to take all the cookies jars and take control of all the cookie jars, take all the cookies out, and I'm going to put them in one mass place here in Boston, in the city, and I'm going to make sure, you know, they're in a stronghold. So nobody's taking the so cookies. You have, you have militia, militias now that are taking the powder and are going to stockpile it. The British need the powder because either in this time period, if there's no gunpowder, black yeah, powder you're toast you're toast <laughs> and and another part of that element is gunpowder was not being made in the colonies so it's it's an oh. it's a very very precious commodity at that time so the militia understands if all their powder is gone they have no way to defend themselves or to fight back and general the gauge British, is going general, if i don't have it well correct. then i can't protect they, the british americans correct. the colonists yeah so the fly in the ointment there is we're not making gunpowder. We have to protect it. And equivalent today, I guess, to that would be if someone took all of our oil supplies away from us and took all of our oil away, what would that do to the American military today? So that's with the gunpowder. Yeah. So yeah. what happens is, is Lydia, certain men in Boston, particularly the Sons of Liberty, of whom we still don't fully know who all they are or were, and Samuel Adams, is really beginning to say, we need to declare independence from Great Britain. We need to declare our independence. And the far majority of Americans were not under that mindset yet. But because Samuel Adams was such a good propagandist and promoting that viewpoint, pretty much after we have things going back and forth with what we had talked about with the, the taxes going back and forth and the Boston Tea Party and the Boston Massacre. Uh, the colonies all decided they're going to have the first Continental Congress in Philadelphia, which was September and October of 1774. 
the representatives from all the colonies came to the first Continental Congress and they were discussing what is our avenues of standing up for us? What can we do to get the king and parliament to understand our viewpoint so it does not go down the road of bloodshed? So is that where the olive leaf letter yes. comes in? Yeah, the olive branch petition. Olive that, branch. Olive yeah. branch petition that was sent to the king. Again, Samuel Adams was under the idea that this would only, that we could only ever get our independence if we had a war. Wow. No, a lot you, of the... A lot of the Continental, First Continental Congress members are saying, before we get anywhere close to bloodshed, let's take every avenue that we can possibly have to get what we want, which is representation and equal representation in Parliament, and avoid bloodshed. That's the Olive Branch petition. Which is wonderful. Now, you mentioned something, you know, we should all practice that. That's, I mean, that's part is wonderful that we should all, instead of putting on our boxing gloves and duking it out, let's try everything we can to resolve this peacefully because war is not only expensive with life, but it destroys mm -hmm. property and the means of production. I mean, everyone gets poor except for those that are in the war making industry, you know, like with weapons and whatever. But you mentioned that. Samuel Adams was a, a great propagandist. So tell me, what is your definition of propaganda? Propaganda is, is someone expounding on a certain viewpoint to get other people to agree with that viewpoint. And that viewpoint may or may not be totally accurate. Yes, yes. Because actually, Lydia, in our own lives, which we talked about already, whose viewpoint is 100% accurate? because we all view life through some sort of a bias. Yeah. And, and as a historian, and as historians between the two of us, we should never, ever, we should always try to find the correct truth outside of our bias. So that just means looking up other Absolutely. viewpoints of, yeah. for instance, in my yeah. case, one of the podcasts I listened to, I was actually surprised. I went, oh my gosh, this actually sounds pro-British. Mm -hmm. This is going to be fascinating. I actually listened to it three times because I was so fascinated by the British side of the Revolutionary War and how it all started, which led me to learn about the powder alarm and mm -hmm. how something about four cannons that we had in artillery in Boston, and we had four cannons, and they all, in, in this mad dash to secure powder, the cannon went missing. Mm -hmm. And one of the rumors was that General Gage heard is that the cannon could possibly be in Concord. And, and there, was four, there was four cannons in Concord. Yeah, four, four cannons. We Do we know that? Today. Okay. We know that today. So yes. he was, so that I didn't, you know, I just thought, oh, he's out to go get more powder. Well, there were cannon. He was in, out to get, and according to this one podcast I listened to, the cannon were actually on what were the top priority list mm -hmm. because they were brass, they weren't iron. Right. And so, yeah, nobody taught me that in school before, but I just learned it. And I'm glad you're confirming that because I was curious to hear if you had heard of that and if there was, you know, if that this is accurate, what I'm listening we, to. We espouse, as you and I and a lot of people espouse, that we all should be lifelong learners. And what we're doing here is actually we're doing more research. We're doing more study and we're, we're, we're accumulating more and more information and knowledge to either round out a, a point of view or to add to that point of view to, to get to a full, complete story. Basically. It's kind of like the more puzzle pieces you can gather off the floor, you know, when you spill the right. box, the more puzzle pieces you can gather, the clearer the picture you're going to be able to put together because right. you have those pieces. Okay. So 
My, okay, my, my emphasis on that is the First Continental Congress, Samuel Adams believes that we're only going to ever get our freedom if we have a declaration of independence, which means we're going to be in rebellion, which means there's going to be conflict. The point here is that is September and October of 1774. They come up with what they call the Galloway Plan, which is basically the Olive Branch Petition. And the First Continental Congress decided, Lydia, is they were going to reconvene the following May which actually May 10th of 1775. So everybody goes home in October. Everything calms down. Everything is status quo. Everything seems normal throughout the fall and the winter. No other conflicts or agitation is happening. And human nature is, when things go back to normal, we have a tendency to forget what happened in the situation. You know, we're, we're all putting yellow flags on our trees after 9-11. Then after a certain amount of time, everybody pretty gets gets lulled back to sleep and we go back to the status quo. That's human nature. What woke us up then? Well, again, the dates here are important. This second Continental Congress was to reconvene in May of 1775, May 10th. Lexington and Concord is April 19th of 1775, a, a little less than a month before the Second Continental Congress. When Lexington and Concord happens, Samuel Adams can run back to Philadelphia in the Second Continental Congress and basically say, see, this is why we need a declaration <laughs> of independence. See, I told you we, so. we got loads of sleep over the winter, but this is what is happening now to us. And it, it pretty much brought back that 9-11 experience to the colonists and the Second Continental Congress that we need a declaration of independence. So Samuel Adams was not one bit upset that Lexington and Concord happened, but now he has evidence in hand to go back to the Second Continental Congress and say, this is why we need to have a declaration of independence. So that shot at Lexington that started this, no one really knows, Lydia, where that shot came from. Did it come from the, the British military? Did it come from the militia on Lexington Green? We know that it came from the side. There are a lot of historians who possibly think that maybe Samuel Adams, the one who just fired a pistol or musket up and in, up into the air to see what would happen between the militia there and the British soldiers on that green. Interesting, kind of like being a I don't want to say a pot stirrer because, mm -hmm. you know, if he had done that, it would have been more like, okay, let's, let's just see what's going to happen. Let me see if my hypothesis is correct. Mm -hmm. and, and you're, but Samuel Adams was a pot stirrer. He failed as a printer. He failed as a brewer maker. He was 50 years old. All this businesses that he ever got into failed. Wow. What he was great at was being a propagandist. And again, we always think of that term as something negative. Right. You know, you and I propagate Jeffersonian democracy, free market capitalism. And so when we espouse to that viewpoint, we are propagandists for that viewpoint. So it's not it's not a negative term always. Yeah, I like be, that. You know, now a, a socialist would say we're, we're we're propagating negativism because they don't believe in free market capitalism. But that's what Samuel Adams was able to do to run back to the Second Continental Congress with evidence in hand of why we need to get to a Declaration of Independence. And so that is May of 1775. It still takes a whole nother year before we have an official document, the Declaration of Independence. 
So that's a major issue that's going on in Lexington. And the dates there and the timing there is important because of the Second Continental Congress is happening in May. Nothing happened over the winter. Most of them are saying, okay, everything with Great Britain is resolved. Let's continue on the way it was. And Samuel Adams knows different. That it's not going to be resolved until we have, unfortunately, a military conflict at that point. Well, something else that I found interesting as I was reading both sides, the Britain side and the British American side of this Lexington Concord event is just how there's a lot of misinformation, which I can't blame anybody. They didn't have internet. They didn't have cell phones or even telephones. It had to be horse and rider passing the message along and then that message being passed on to others and being passed on to others. And and as we, there, there's that game called telephone where if you've got eight people lined up and you whisper something in someone's ear and they pass a, that same message on to the next person and the, their ear and all the way down, that by the time it, it comes out of the mouth of the person on the end, it's usually something very different than what was shared in the very beginning. And so I found it fascinating that for instance, I learned that the British Americans heard that there were 1,200 to 1,500 British who were there to take the North and South Bridge in Concord, but in reality, there were only 250, and then the British were told that there were 1,000 militia there at Lexington, but there were maybe only 60 or 70. Uh, another one where... where uh, the British were, of course, trying to, I think at this point, they're really worried about the militia taking the powder from them. So they don't want to arm the militia because now it's the militia against the British. And so when they burned gun carriages, if they found them between Lexington and Concord, um, when they were burning a couple of gun carriages, they found they accidentally burned down a house. Well, that rumor got turned into, oh my gosh, they're burning down towns and cities yes. yeah. and, and and everything. But it was, but but actually, from what I learned, is both sides tried to put the the house fire out. Which <laughs> I'm like, well, that's kind of cool um, that they both were like, oopsie, you know, we may be at odds against each other, but let's not have a completely innocent person's house burned down. Let's let's put this fire out. So I just found it, you know, how to apply that to our lives. It's like, how many times do we have knee jerk reactions about what we hear? assuming that what we heard is true, where it could be just that kind of a rumor that instead of, you know, 1,200 to 1,500 men right. on the side of the enemy, that really it's just 250. Right. And you and, know what I mean? Well, and General Gage had got information or through his intelligence that there were four cannons at Concord, that the militia was stockpiling the powder in Concord, and they were also stockpiling musket balls. So that's the reason they wanted to go to Concord to recoup all the, that weaponry and gunpowder. And so by the time they got to Concord, three of the cannons were gone. The gunpowder was gone, but the British were able to confiscate. There was 500 pounds of musket balls that the militias were stockpiling out there. And, and that, that doesn't seem to be that much. Um, Lydia, a musket ball is about an ounce. So you multiply 16 oh times 500. That's mm. eight thousand musket balls Goodness. that they had out there at that point. So exactly. that's why that's why this transpired and that's why Gage was sending these troops out there to recover this weaponry and gunpowder and musket balls. And yet the British Americans are going, you know, the, the militia are going, wait a minute, we don't want you taking this right. because what are we going to use to defend ourselves from you guys? Correct. You know, all, and yeah, it just becomes a big mess. Is it true that the British dumped all those balls, those musket balls into a pond? No, they used them. They use, oh, well, duh, sure. I guess that would make sense. They use them. They use them, yeah, because it's right. pretty much the same size. 
But yeah. again, Lydia, we're up against time and we haven't oh, even man. got to, to <laughs> the, the crux of the battle yet. So I'm going to go out and thin ice. I'm going to be honest with me. Would you acquiesce to come back and continue this discussion? At a, Absolutely. At a yeah, we have to we have to find out the rest of the story. I have oh, to find oh, out the rest of the story. The rest of the story. So I'll try to get Paul Harvey to come. And, okay, that'd be great. So again, we thank you for coming and sharing. I love that you have a take on this and we can discuss and Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for coming. And again, listeners, Lydia's book, Forgotten American Stories, that you can purchase through her website. And please, it's a must for all of us to read and have as a resource. So again, we want to thank Lydia not all for coming and sharing with us on WFYL 1180 AM. We're working for your liberty.